Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Summer's mine. Winter too. Popping bottles in the club. That's what winners do. You are listening to the Load Management Podcast. Why? I don't know. What's going on, everybody? It's your man, Shops. Brand new episode of the Load Management Podcast. I'm coming to you live from New York City. Thankful to be here. Thankful that you're listening with us. The sports podcast that sometimes talks about sports. Uh, we actually get a new, how do we want to say, a new motto later in the show from our very special guest, Jay Billis from ESPN, who joined us today. We talked to him about the NBA draft, the future of college basketball, coronavirus, how much coronavirus sucks, March Madness, all that. Adam my co-host in L.A., a very fun conversation. Yeah, Jay's always been a friend of Complex Sports going back years, and uh, we had a great convo with him. Again, you touched on a few of the other things, and I think maybe the highlight or maybe the most fun and obviously out of nowhere came his little story about an NFL superstar that we were not expecting towards the end of it. So, uh, yeah, we hit on some awesome Duke talk because obviously with Zion on board, we had to talk a little Duke with Jay Billis, who obviously went to Duke, talked about college basketball landscape, uh, the NCAA tournament, what would have been, and obviously got in some NBA draft discussion, whether it's going to happen sooner or later and who the top prospects are. So we covered a lot of bases with Jay, but Jay brought it as we expected, and uh, it's a very fun conversation. Yeah, uh, a lot of fun. So let's not waste any more time. Let's get into it. Our interview with Jay Billis on the Load Management Podcast. Joining us today is Jay Billis. Jay, what's going on? Thank you so much for joining us. You're an absolute legend. ESPN, Duke, all that. What's going on, man? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Oh, you know, trying to stay safe and healthy and all <laughs> that kind of stuff. Me too. This has been, uh, it's almost hard to describe what this has been like, but we're all going through it at the same time. So you don't have to explain it. Everybody's going through the same thing. Jay, is it, did I read this right? 25 years at ESPN this year? Yeah. Uh, my first game for ESPN was 1995. So yeah, that comes out to 25. Doesn't it? Wow. Well, talk about a legendary run. I don't know about legendary, but I, I said, <laughs> at least I, at least I haven't gotten canned yet. <laughs> No, I'd say you've done all right for yourself, Jay, sending the uh, the hierarchy from starting out to now being the premier voice in college basketball. And I guess everyone keeps coming to you for like, you know, these definitive takes on the game. But the biggest change that you've seen in college basketball over your 24 years covering it for ESPN has been what? Wow. Uh, the biggest change. It's probably been how the game's evolved. The biggest change has been money. There's, there's way more money in the game now than there was back in the day. But the biggest change in the product has been uh, sort of the evolution of the use of the three-point line, that it's become much more of a perimeter-oriented three-point shooting game. So analytics have really, really taken over where, um, you know, you've got, uh, you know, layup, free throw, three-point shot uh, is sort of the hierarchy of, of the most valuable uh, shots. Uh, doesn't mean that people, you know, don't play differently. They do, but but the game has definitely evolved, and the players are better than ever now. I don't think the game gets credit for how 
how great the talent is. It's just the 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 fact that the the best talent doesn't stick around for as long as they did when I was in school. Uh, it still gets a it's still a little bit of a negative connotation for the game. Uh, somehow people think it's a lesser game as a result of that, and I don't. I'm not one of those that agrees with that. Jay, obviously, because of what's going on, coronavirus, and to quote Dickie V, who tweeted recently, coronavirus sucks. It really sucks. <laughs> so uh, because of it, there was no March Madness this year, which is just, you know, a big blow to all sports fans. Who do you think, and pardon me if you said this before, but who do you think was the team that you think was, was going to win it all this year? Yeah, if I had to hitch my wagon to one team to win it, I would have picked Kansas. But as we all know, you know, the best team doesn't always win it. Uh, I was one of those that at the beginning of the year thought that this was going to be a year like 2010 or 2011, where we didn't have a a favorite. We didn't have a recognized best team. Uh, And I think for most of the year that that was true, that we had more, you know, top 10 upsets, uh, more top 25 teams that got beat by unranked teams than we've, we've had in any year. But it seemed like at the end of the year that Kansas had really separated itself. I mean, they'd only lost like two games. Um, it really separated itself as, as the best team. Maybe they lost three. But, but, um, so I think they would have, would have had a great run. And I think Bill Self felt like this was the team that was uh, maybe best constructed to win one. Yeah. Did you feel at all that, you know, the tournament setting itself up to be a crazy, crazy tournament? I mean, it feels like the last, I don't know, handful, maybe the last decade, like the, the results in the NCAA tournament have been absolutely ridiculous. But did you get a sense maybe going to this one that we were set up for some absolutely crazy early on results or that was going to be different than maybe some previous tournaments? It felt that way, didn't it? It felt like it was going to be volatile uh, and maybe more than usual. Like there's a certain level of volatility we expect. Like you expect to have uh, a certain amount of upsets so that the first weekend is going to feel really crazy because of the number of games. And then you're going to have you're going to have, like we said, the seed upsets. But by the Sweet 16, usually what happens is you've got 13 power five teams and and Gonzaga and then a couple of of mid-majors that get in there. Um, It's very rare you have, you know, more than that. Uh, But it felt like this year, maybe. Um, But. But it was odd that you know you didn't have uh, the feeling that we had as many uh, some kind of really really good uh, mid-major teams, and if they were, they were ranked already. The, the the thing that that really bothered me about the cancellation of the tournament, uh, obviously there are so many things at play, and it was the right decision and all that. And there there look there are bigger issues we're facing, but it was just the the, the basketball tournament itself. We're going to limit ourselves to that. There were career trajectories trajectories that were negatively affected by not having this tournament. So whether it's coaches that were able at a smaller school able to pull an upset and maybe that leads them to a, a, a quote unquote better job or a player um, that, that had an amazing tournament, you know, for San Diego state, like they, how many times are they going to have a chance to, to get to a final four? This was one of them. And, you know, you, you can have, you can have an entire, uh, you can have a 50 year period for a team like San Diego state and not have a better chance. Oh, and no. so that was difficult to that was difficult to swallow that, that we didn't get that opportunity for so many people. I was about to ask, who did you feel the worst for going like with it being canceled? I guess San Diego State, that's a big one. Um, 
because that, that's part of the thing. Like you said, like Gonzaga, like I feel like this was a really good Gonzaga-like team. Like maybe this could have been the year that Gonzaga finally got it done, you know? Yeah, like, and that's that's sort of the the exact right way to look at it for me, or the the right way I was looking at it. Um, you know, Florida State, like Gonzaga, Florida State. You know, th- this might have been the best opportunity for Florida State to win one. Uh, you know, stuff like that, where you had those those type of, of stories. Uh, Baylor um, had a had a great opportunity, um, but there were so many, and who knows? Like, if if it was a, a crazy volatile tournament. Um, maybe this was a year where a team like uh, uh, back in 11 where VCU broke through. Maybe this year that would have been a year where a team that breaks through could, could ultimately win it, where most years getting to the Final Four, that's going to be it. Uh, you know, Loyola Chicago was terrific, but, but you kind of knew when they got there it's going to be really hard for them to win. Um, you know, it was that kind of feeling. So it left an emptiness, and I think that's why you saw so many people clamoring for – Hey, you know, everybody deserves a reset and another, another chance. Um, so give the spring sport athletes uh, another year of eligibility. And, and they wanted to give, you know, even the, the basketball players, give them another year of eligibility. And I kind of, my son, uh, Anthony, played at Wake Forest, and he kind of framed it for me as, as redshirt. He said, well, spring sport athletes, if they applied for redshirt, they all would get it. So, you know, what, what's, the, what's the big deal? They should get another year of eligibility. But he said the basketball players would not have gotten a redshirt. So I, that, that really kind of opened my eyes to, to a better way to look at it. Talking about the teams that got screwed, did they maybe get screwed over more than anybody else? Because you talk yeah. about those schools that, you know, have these very finite windows. And it feels like Dayton was like the team this year that had that finite window to capitalize on being good for like the first time. Like, well, be this good first time in 50 years. Yeah, that's a good call. And, and Dayton probably top of the list for any team that that probably since 1960 seven or whatever year it was that Dayton last went to the final four, you know, Dayton was really good when I was in school. Uh, mm-hmm. But, but their teams back in the late sixties that lost to, uh, to Lou Alcindor and UCLA in the, in the championship game, this was their best chance. And, you know, OB Toppin's not going to come back. Uh, so they're not going to have this chance again in, in the, in the short run. Hopefully they'll, they'll still perform at a high level. And I think they will. But, you know, th- this kind of window, that's sort of the career trajectory thing I was talking about. This kind of window just doesn't happen. And, uh, you know, you build toward this, and then when the rugs pulled it out from idea for a good reason, and you hate to kind of complain about it. Uh, that's why I, I prefaced it by saying, look, if you just limit it to basketball, it's hard to complain about it when so many people are, people are losing their jobs and their businesses. And, mm-hmm. you know, so, so you, have, you have seniors, not only the, the basketball players, but you have, you have seniors that aren't going to graduate. And they're worried about whether they're going to have a job waiting for them once school ends. Um, you know, it, it, there are a lot of hardships that, that are, are coming from this that pale in comparison, that, that, you know, basketball pales in comparison to the hardships. But when you just talk about basketball, I mean, it's going to be an empty feeling for forever for, for all these players and coaches. And, uh, you know, even, even like we're handing out awards right now. They can't even go to the award ceremonies. And how are we going to remember, you know, like the National Defensive Player of the Year, all these different awards? Are we going to, are, are they going to be pushed, you know, to the back of our minds when it would have been at the forefront if we would have had a tournament? It's, it's really a hard one. All of my Dayton friends, I'm from Ohio, I'm from Cleveland. I have a lot of friends who went to Dayton. They all are claiming a national championship. They're all just saying that they won the national championship. <laughs> Everybody's UCF now. <laughs> yeah, right? Everybody's going full UCF. We we would have won. Don't even ask about it. Uh, speaking of that, how so Zion here is a Duke fan. All of our listeners yes, know that. But just 
put keying you into that. Zion is a big Duke fan. Uh, how early would have Duke got knocked out this year? Because you know, you know, they're prone to upsets. Oh, so, <laughs> how, how early was Duke getting, getting uh, uh, taken out of the tournament this year? You know what? I have built up such a shell for Duke hate that it doesn't even. It just bounces off now. It doesn't even bother. <laughs> it's amazing. Zion, don't don't listen to all this, Duke. Hayes. Oh it's man, really it's it's every week. I'm used to it by now. We yeah. give it to him good. Well, <laughs> here's the thing about Duke hate is people hate on Duke because the Duke fans just come out of nowhere with just all this confidence and shit talking. That's where the Duke hate comes from. And that's fair. I mean, but most fan bases, truth be told, most fan bases do that. That when they win, they they're you know they get pin their ears back and crow and. Uh, that, that's what's good about my job. And I think what, what I've enjoyed most is, you know, getting behind the curtain on so many different programs that, that, you know, you, you certainly, you know, love where you went to school, but the, uh, after having seen, you know, behind the scenes at North Carolina or Michigan state or Dayton or whatever, you name it, uh, you got a tremendous amount of respect for, for how other people do it. And, uh, and that's why there, there's no, you know, there's objectivity in it is because, you know, you, you you see that well that goes into my uh, good transition here i think you and kirk herb street get so much crap from duke fans for you and then ohio state fans from for kirk they don't understand that sh- that you have to be objective in your role you know like yeah like they, they expect you just to be a homer because you went to duke or because he went to ohio state well, yeah, I don't know what people expect, but I can tell you this, that, and I, look, I don't have my ear to the ground on what all Duke fans are saying, but you, you, some some I know will complain about another broadcaster that went to a rival school, and they'll say, oh, you know, so-and-so is always rooting for their team or bringing up their team or all that. And so they don't like it when somebody else d- does it, but then they'll turn around and expect you to do it. You know, they'll expect me to sort of be biased. And I don't look at it as biased or objective or all that stuff. I just look at it as fair. Like to me, fair is not difficult. Yeah. And and it, it just say what you see. You know, when Duke's good, I say so. When they're not good, I say so. It's not that hard. And uh, and you know, to to be able to praise somebody else, like one of the things I ask if somebody does mention it, you'll say, okay, so so let me get this straight. It's my mouth that's that's biased, not your ears. You know, because people are listening with, with, you know, bias toward their team. And when I first started, got into broadcasting, maybe this will help. When I first got into broadcasting, I did, um, I used to do radio. I did radio games for Duke. And so, you know, one, every game I did of Duke radio, one team was exactly the same. It was Duke. And so each game, especially in the non-conference, but each game, I took great care to prepare for the other team. So when I would talk about the other team on the broadcast, People complained about it. They wanted to hear only about Duke. And and so, okay, I guess. But but they didn't mind they didn't mind hearing the same thing over and over again about because it was about their team. They didn't yeah. want to hear about Iowa. Um, they just they just wanted to hear about their guys. And that's fine. Uh, but I don't do local broadcasts anymore. And so I can't I can't I can't do that. It's just not right. So what fan base had you highest on the shit list this year? I don't know because I don't. I don't want to say I don't pay attention to it. My way of dealing with with things like that are um, it, it basically goes to reasonableness. Like 
I hear stuff. I don't seek it out. I'm not going on message boards looking for it, or I don't look <laughs> I at Twitter during. Yeah. yeah, I don't. I don't. You know, look at Twitter during games. Although my family does. My 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 wife and kids when they're together. My I, my kids are older now, but when they're together and one of my games is on, they could they could give a rat's ass about listening to me. They go to Twitter and they read each other all the mean tweets about me. <laughs> no way. They love, they love it. They love it. Um, that, that's their favorite thing in the world to do. Um, but I basically, like, you know, I, I treat criticism the same way I do a compliment. That if I'm, if I'm willing to accept a compliment, I'd better be willing to accept criticism. So when I get criticized, I look at, okay, is it right and is it reasonable? If it's right, I deal with it. Um, if it's, if it's reasonable, I, I listen to it or read it, uh, and take it into account. If it's unreasonable, I just dismiss it right away. Like you can't reason with unreasonable. So if it's unreasonable, I just get rid of it. And, uh, and if it's, if it's like, uh, incendiary, like if I see something on Twitter, that's basically like, you know, the equivalent of somebody walking down the street and giving you a middle finger, <laughs> I just, I just mute it. So I don't have to see it again. Like cause mm -hmm. somebody's going to say that once they're going to say it again. Yeah. And I don't need to see all that crap because that's un so unreasonable. I get rid of it. Now, if somebody has a, uh, saying, Hey, you know, you talk too much or something. I, that, that's reasonable. So I, I leave that alone. I don't, I don't worry about that too much. You have a Alabama football hat behind or football helmet behind you. I do. Crazier cult followings. I, I don't want to call them cult followings, but follow ACC basketball, SEC football, SEC football. Yeah. Really? Yeah, I bought that at a. Uh, I went and played in a tournament at Alabama, and uh, and that football helmet was auctioned off. And I, I bought. I'm a huge memorabilia fan, so I, I bought that thing and figured that I, you know, I'm, it's a fundraiser. I might as well give to, you know, give to the cause. Um, but SEC football, it's not. I don't think it's close. Like ACC basketball is crazy, um, but one, there are more SEC football fans. Like they pack ninety thousand into those places, and. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it is, um, you know, look, I'm sure basketball fans have done a lot of dumb things. You know, you, you never hear, you never hear about basketball fans poisoning trees and all, you know, like, 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 a, you know, the Alabama Auburn thing. Um, yeah, I, I put football fans on a, on a different level of, uh, of let's, let's call it passionate. Yeah. Uh, right. Different yeah. level of passionate. Yeah. That's the nice way to put it for, for that. Yeah. Um, going back to Duke a little bit, we want to play a little game with you, Jay. Okay. It's called Cut One, Trade One, Start One. Okay? Okay. Duke Edition. Grant Hill, <laughs> Christian Leitner, JJ Redick. Cut One, Trade One, Start One. I'd start them all, man. Yeah, that, I saw that, <laughs> but I saw that with uh, with Kobe, Kareem, and Magic. Yes. And you're going, <laughs> Everybody's doing on, these on Twitter man. right now because there's nothing else to talk about. <laughs> yeah, no, it's fine. But like after what you're like, come on, like why, why would you trade? First of all, like like Leitner. So I was in a, I was a grad assistant when Leitner was a player, mm -hmm. and, and Grant Hill. But so th those two guys were on the team when I was a grad assistant, and I think Grant Hill's the best player that's ever played at Duke. Leitner is the the best, you know, winner, and I've never seen a competitor like him. Uh, he did one thing, like Leitner was was a, a like Grant Hill was the most athletic, but Leitner was the best athlete. And by athlete, I mean he could do the most things. Um, like I used to play tennis with Leitner, and I don't know if he had a tennis background. Dude could play tennis, ping pong. He could walk on his hands, do a handstand, and walk on his hands from one baseline to the other. So he could walk 94 feet on his hands. Are you serious? Yeah. No, I've seen him do it. 
um, I don't think he, he might not be able to do it now as like a 48 year old man, <laughs> right. but he could do it. Like it was ridiculous how talented and JJ Reddick's one of the, one of the best shooters I've ever seen in college. Um, and, and look what, you know, not only all time leading scorer there, but look what he's accomplished as a pro. Like he's become one of the hardest working, um, craftsmen because he is a craftsman. He's like, he's like a, trying to think what his golf equivalent would be. He's like a guy that never misses a fairway. Um, he's ridiculous. And look at the career he's carved out for himself. I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade any one of them and I wouldn't cut anyone. No way. <laughs> so if you were around Christian back in the day, um, how much did people truly, truly hate him? Like what's your favorite, like people hated Christian Land this much story? Uh, well, the favorite one, I don't know if it's a favorite, it's the most memorable. We played at LSU. And so, you know, this is a different time in America where we didn't police, um, you know, sort of homophobic language uh, like we do now and like we should have then, but just didn't. So when we played at, uh, at, at LSU back then, and there was, you know, there was no you know, internet and all that stuff back then. Uh, so when, uh, when we played at LSU, there, there had been this national rumor that somehow started that's, that, that that Brian Davis and Christian Leitner were somehow gay. And so when we went to LSU, the very raucous crowd that had waited outside to get in for the game and camped out and all that stuff. And they chanted uh, at Leitner, they used the, the, the Florida State uh, uh, sort of fight song with the mm -hmm. tomahawk chop thing. Mm -hmm. And they chanted the, a homosexual at Leitner. They would go homosexual. The whole thing, it, it, was, oh, wow. it was really unseemly. It was awful. That's and it was awful crazy. then. It, it, you can't imagine it now. Yeah. Um, and that dude handled everything that came at him and, and dominated the game. And if I remember right, Bobby Hurley was injured, so Grant Hill had to run the point, and it was a game that maybe LSU should have won, you know, one of those deals that Duke mm -hmm. wound up winning. But if I remember right, Coach K called a timeout. Like Leitner was was giving it back to them and, and yelling things back at the crowd and uh, sort of, sort of you know uh, gesturing, not not making any bad gestures, but letting them know like, hey, come on, bring it on. And Coach K called a timeout and basically said, told them, will you shut up? Like, <laughs> the, you know, we we want to get out of here alive. Let's just win the game. But like, right. quit giving it back to them. And and it was uh, that was the craziest hate. Uh, I saw rain down on him. If you go back and look at that game, um, and I haven't done that, but it, but in the in the I hate Christian Leitner uh, thirty for thirty. I sat mm. down for an interview in that one, and basically told this story. And after you guys are younger than me, but after after I told him the story, I went back. You know, I started thinking. I was going, God, I hope I got all the details of that right. I was going off memory, and it's been twenty twenty some years, twenty five years, and. Yeah, I did get it right because they showed footage from it, and even the announcers were saying, "Boy, they are yelling some things and all that stuff." That, mm. And you could was that uh, a national the, TV game? Yeah, it was a national Jeez, TV game. Wow, and, uh, and they it, it was that really national bad. TV. Wow, <laughs> you know, back back then crowds did stuff that that today would be uh, uh, would be condemned universally, and and rightfully wow. so. It's sort of, you know, it, it's it's kind of sad that we weren't as evolved back then as a society yeah. that we didn't call it out then because it was just as wrong then, but but for some reason we weren't as evolved as a in policing that sort of rhetoric. But like, but the but the, the the one thing too to convey, 
like that team that Leitner played on in the early nineties was like the Beatles, like everywhere that team went, um, you wouldn't believe the crowds that came out for, for them. And I, I'm sure the other players thought that, well, they're here for us, but the truth was most of them were there for later. Like most of the mm-hmm. girls that came out to scream were screaming for late. Um, <laughs> he was he, like, he's one of the 50, like the people magazine had like a 50 most beautiful people. Was that, was it called 50 most beautiful yeah, or something? Yeah. He yeah. presented in college. He <laughs> was in that in college. That's crazy. Um, that, yeah. That's crazy. I, I don't know if that happens now, but, but that was extraordinary. So. That. That's like, well, kind of bringing it back to now the Zion hype. How did the Zion hype compare to that? I mean, obviously you were, Probably closer, I would say, to the Leitner stuff because you were on the coach on the team. But, I mean, the Zion hype was, like, bigger. Really? Okay. Yeah, it was bigger because there, there's just more outlets now. Like, there was no yeah. social media with Leitner. Yeah. So, it wasn't in your face as much. It was in your face as much as it could be. Mm-hmm. But, it was like, Zion, everything was Zion, and including our coverage. Like, so, we, we ESPN had uh, – uh, we launched ESPN Plus – with Duke basketball. So we went to Canada and put all their, their Canadian tour over the summer on ESPN plus. So they played three games in Canada and Dan Schulman and I went to all their practices and games mm-hmm. and we were like, Oh, 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 oh this is different. Yeah. Like our plans are changing right now. Like it's going to be all Zion all the time. He'll be a sports center favorite. And then when he went, you know, they played Kentucky in the, uh, in that uh, Champions Classic, and then we we're like, okay, th- this train is not going to be able to. Nobody's stopping derailing this train, and it was it was stunning. Uh, I've never seen anything like it uh, in, in covering the college game, and I doubt I'll ever see anything like it again. But I hope I do, but I doubt I will. He was that kind of phenomenon. Wow, is he your? If you had to pick one, I'm not trying to put you on the spot. Kyrie Tatum Zion from that group. Going forward, anybody you like out of those three, talent-wise? As the best player? Yeah. It's it's tougher because Kyrie's a little older at this point than the other two. But Tatum yeah. really came on this year. before. The Kyrie's season. probably the most talented. Tatum, you know, because of his size uh, and the way he shoots it, uh, could probably wind up being a better player. But, you know, if you're, if you, you're buying stock, you'd – by stock in Zion, you know, only question, you just hope he's going to stay completely healthy, but man, that dude is, uns- you know, there's never been anybody like him on a basketball floor ever. And, and that's not to say he's the best player ever, but there's never been anybody like him. Um, it, it's like, uh, it'd be like if he were dancing the lead in like a, a ballet, he could do it. You know, <laughs> his feet are, he's just unbelievable. And, like, after a while, we, people were talking about, well, how do you describe it? Like, oh, you don't have to. Once people see it, they'll get it. Yeah. Um, and you won't have to, like, go down a list, the laundry list of things that he can do. Um, you, you can't take your eyes off him. He's just a – and even when he was hurt, we did his first game back, I believe, and when he was, like, 13 of 14 against Syracuse in the uh, ACC tournament, you're like, that, that dude's been out for a month, and he did that. Like, that's not that's, – that's superhuman. Yeah. And Jay, for, for obviously I'm a big Duke fan and I have a big Duke following on Twitter. Uh, I often get killed for this comparing Leitner to Zion. I think obviously it's hard because Leitner has the championships and whatnot and uh, the accolades, but I compare it on a four year basis. If Zion has stayed four years compared to Leitner, would you think he'd be the Duke GOAT versus Leitner? Um, 
you would project that out. It's kind of like a, it's kind of like an algebra question. Like you would project <laughs> it out that that he would be. Um, you know, like when Leitner came in to Duke in '89, I think his first year was. He had Danny Ferry and Quinn Snyder and those guys to play with. Um, so it was a little bit of a different deal. Like he wasn't the best player. Um, Zion was the best player his freshman year and best player in the country, his national player of the year. So did he project out as being the better player? Yeah. Um, Leitner just had this, and, and again, it's kind of like the, the, the start trade cut thing. Um, you know, you're not gonna, you're not gonna go wrong in any decision you make here. You're just talking about levels of, of great, um, but, you know, Leitner had this amazing quality of, of competitiveness and, and winner that went along with him. The, but that didn't, didn't, it was difficult for him to carry through as a pro. Like, he played on bad teams as a pro. But he mm -hmm. still had a good pro career. People think he was a bust. He was not. In his, in his, you know, he had a 10-, 12-year career, whatever it was. He averaged 16 points a game for his career. Like he was a good player. Um, it's just that his teams were terrible. And so he had one all-star appearance when he's playing for Atlanta. That was the only decent team he played for in his time in the NBA. Um, I think Leitner played on a better team as a freshman than, uh, than Zion did. And then Zion had other young guys around um, where Leitner had, had a national – he was playing with the national player of the year his, uh, his freshman year. Danny Ferry is the national player of the year. Um, so it was just a different, different time and a different uh, way to – it would be kind of like asking about Tim Duncan or something. <laughs> like if Tim Duncan had gone out as a freshman, um, you know, I think he would have done all those things. But if he didn't win two championships and go to four Final Fours, people would still say later it's better. Yeah. Transition to the NBA draft a little bit, Jay. Are you on the Lomelo Ball hype train? Are you? Are you? How do you feel about Lomelo? Talent-wise, yes. Um, he's, okay. he's as talented as anybody in this draft. I think he and Anthony Edwards are probably the two most talented players, and James Wiseman is not that far behind. Um, but I worry a little bit. I shouldn't say worry. The concern I would have is, uh, is socially, honestly, that he didn't even finish high school in, in a, in a, a quote-unquote normal way. Mm -hmm. Like he's had kind of a Kardashian upbringing in the game. He's a star and, already on social media. Like, he's, yeah, that's the thing. Like, he has got to. But but is he gonna is he gonna assimilate into sort of the NBA uh, way of doing things? Is that going to be easy? And is is he gonna? It, it, what's his social adjustment going to be like? Is he gonna be? Is he gonna function at a high level socially where where he, he wasn't able to be socialized and maybe it'll be better having played pro ball in New Zealand. You know, who knows? Maybe it'd be better. But I'd have to be convinced that that he's on. That, that he's on the right side of that question. Um, but he, he's, he's talented enough to be taken number one. I don't think he will be, but he's talented enough. Do you so think you had the first pick in the draft? Yeah. You taking Anthony Edwards? Well, it depends on my team. Um, I Anthony guess that's yeah, true, but I mean, in general, if you're, if you're lining up the prospects right now, who would you have number one? Anthony Edwards is the most talented player, especially for today's game, I would say. Um, he doesn't know how to play yet. He, he made a lot of strides under Tom Crean last year in learning how to play. But he still doesn't. He still hasn't put it together yet. But for a guy that can, you know, make tough shots and contested shots and even, truthfully, bad shots because he takes a fair amount of those, and hasn't learned yet how to be efficient in getting the best shot for himself, um, look, look at his productivity level. It's ridiculous. And like, you know, you're, you don't want to be sort of recency bias or, or 
just the fact that you were there. But but if anybody was there to see him in Maui put up 37 on Michigan State, 31 yeah. in the second half, they could not he stop went, him. He went nuts, yeah. He, he's And he's capable of that kind of stuff. Um, I'm a big James Wiseman believer. Um, I, I'm a little bit bothered by the fact that he, he didn't play at Memphis, that he, he walked. Maybe he had – maybe there's a great reason for it. I still don't know what that reason is or was. Um, but he's still Chris Bosh, tight, talented oh, okay. um, for, for that stage of his, his career. So he, he's, got a, he's got a chance to be really, really good. Are NBA teams going to be able to figure out the LaMelo ball thing? Because obviously we're in unprecedented times where we don't even know when the draft is going to be. You know, Woj is talking August or, you know, which I think would make sense if they bring back the season later. But you're talking about LaMelo maybe, you know, some social stuff. But, like, say the Knicks are interested in Melo. That's a big – playing in Madison Square Garden is not an easy thing. Yeah. You know, like, are they going to be able to figure out that LaMelo is ready for, you know, that spotlight and everything? That's a really good question. And one of my colleagues, Mike Schmitz, who you guys probably know, yep, he's unbelievable, yep, great. Unbe- unbelievable scout. I mean, he's got a great sense of it. He, he had said recently, and I hadn't really thought about it this way, is a great point that uh, that it, it may be that, that not having access to the combine and all these in-person interviews and bringing them in for workouts may wind up working in the favor of, of decision-making, NBA decision-making. Because you're dealing only with their body of work, so you're not you're not uh, going to be influenced uh, overly influenced by something you see that's more short run, um, and you know it's kind of the old uh, you know sort of money ball idea that if you see a guy hit a 500 foot home run, you know you're going to be that, that's going to be at the forefront of your mind instead of a, a complete body of work type of type of thing with the analytics side of it too. Um, Mike's point was, was that may that may actually help in making a decision that you're you're going more with the film and what you see as far as is the body works concerned. I don't know the right way because I, I get influenced by by stuff. I'm I'm constantly trying to recalibrate the way I look at things. And I'll give you an example. Like uh, a lot of years ago, I, I went to a, a an NBA workout uh, that a team was having and and watched a watched a, a hot prospect play. And in like, you know, two on two stuff, one, you know, one on O and was not impressed and, you know, kind of let that carry the day instead of, well, wait a minute, what does a guy look like at five on five? And, and I, w- I wasn't as high on the players. I, I should have been if I didn't see the workout and then I, I took him down a peg after seeing him work out and, and it was Amari Stoudemire. <laughs> like, guy's pretty good. And, uh, it's not like I dropped him down, way down, but I, but I, I didn't hold him in as high of regard after watching him play. They don't play two on two in an NBA game. They don't. You know, who cares if his drills were, you know, if he, if he could handle one on O drills? Yeah. Um, you know, the dude, dude could play, and uh, and I kind of, I, I, I'm cautious. I'm very cautious now about that kind of thing. I'm, I'm trying to be more careful. About what's What's the wildest NBA draft workout you've ever heard of that maybe? Like we're just like just crazy stuff kind of happening because you know you sometimes you hear some stories about like Joel Embiid yelling at Cavs the Cavs uh, guys I think I saw the other day you know like just going yeah. nuts like you got to take me you got to take me is there anyone that stands out with you just like someone like you heard of well I don't go to as much of many more largely because of, of some of the mistakes I've made and getting over influenced by them 
Um, but my favorite story was uh, was from a, a buddy of mine who was was helping out Corey Maggette when he was coming out of college. This was back in the late 90s, 1999, maybe 2000. Um, and so Maggette was uh, not, you know, not as proficient of a shooter uh, when he first came out. And mm -hmm. so that was a, an issue. So when he was having a workout, uh, this this friend of his and of mine told him, look, if you get into a shooting workout and things aren't going well for you, keep all of your stuff right in front of the bleachers where the scouts are sitting. And then if, if the shooting workout isn't going that well, um, you know, stop the workout for a second and go over to your bag and take your shirt off and put your shirt in the bag. And as soon as, and, and take it off like this. And he goes, as soon as you take your shirt off in front of them, none of them will remember that you just missed a bunch of shots and then go back out and resume the workout. <laughs> I, thought, I thought that was pretty good. Do you think that had an actual effect on, uh, on their decision making? They, they said it did. I mean, you know, that's where the story came from. Um, but, but who knows? I mean, Corey was a, a, a terrific player, and, yeah. and, uh, but, but just a, a chiseled Adonis body. That uh, that you know you once you saw that you're like oh <laughs> yeah I, that that always made me smile when I thought about that. That's hilarious. Do you think the NBA draft is going to be? I mean, we're we're talking. It's just so weird to how how to project it. Like, how are you going to project it? You know, like you, you with your board and everything. Yeah. Well, first of all, I don't have a board. I'm not oh, a big enough field to have a board. I have a, uh, I have a notepad, a yellow your notepad. Pad. I, your notepad. I have a list. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody talks about, well, on my big board, like where are all these boards? Everybody's got their board. Uh, teams have boards. Like we need to dial it down a notch. We're not a team. Right. Uh, but uh, I, I'm kind of, first of all, I'm kind of waiting for this whole thing to shake out on just who's in the draft. Mm -hmm. It seems like the, the, the quarantine is, is, going more towards more people coming out and declaring for the draft than I expected. Mm -hmm. I, I expected that it would be like, uh, like the coaching carousel in college, which is essentially stopped. Like no power five jobs have opened up because of this, because of the uncertainty. I kind of mistakenly believe that the uncertainty might lead to more players not testing the waters. Um, but it seems like more are. And so we've got an extraordinary number of players that are coming out. And does the draft mean, or does the uncertainty of the of COVID nineteen mean that they are more likely to stay in because they're not getting the feedback that they would normally get from the combine and all this? So, to, to maybe players wind up staying in that otherwise wouldn't have, and how's that going to affect the numbers, the draft? So, I'm I'm waiting for that to shake out, and then uh, I'm I'm preparing for the draft as if it's going to go off in, in June. Mm -hmm. uh, it sounds like it won't, but, but I think the best way for me to get prepared is to approach it that way as if it's going to go off. And then if it gets postponed, we'll just deal with it. And I think I'll learn a lot and we'll all learn a lot from the NFL draft and how that goes. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing sort of how that's handled with the, uh, you know, doing it from remote and all that. And then I'm going to be taking notes on, on just sort of how it works. Uh, to, to see if there's anything I can glean from maybe helping helping us in preparing for the, the NBA draft. Uh, it's kind of speaking about the NCAA a little bit. I'm sure you saw Mike Gun Mike Gundy's comments the other day. Obviously, that's NFL or NCAA football, but just not very good. You know, like putting the putting student athletes at risk like that. You know, I was wondering if you had any thoughts on that. Yeah, it, it, it did not show, uh, in my judgment, a great understanding of what we as a society are dealing with. Um, 
I, I, I wouldn't be like, I'm not, I wasn't as concerned about, Hey, you know, these are amateur students and all that business. It was more, you would, I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect an NFL coach to say something like that. Yeah. Um, it just showed a tone deafness that was, uh, uh, unsettling to the point of being disturbing. Uh, and then, uh, I felt honestly like his apology wasn't even an apology at all. When, when you say, you know, it wasn't. To, those that were it wasn't. to those that were offended, I apologize. Like, come on, man. Uh, we, that was everyone. Enough, yeah, we've at least learned enough about the right right kind of apology that you better not. Um, so, I, but but he's only one guy. I, I think most of the coaches have uh, have done a pretty good job of of striking the right tone here. You know, this is a health and safety issue. It is not anything to mess around with. Um, we are still, you know, our, our healthcare professionals are still learning about this, and we're going to get to the other side of it. I'm confident of that. Uh, but right now, uh, you know, the campuses are shut down, you know, so, so until the campuses open up, I'm not sure that we're going to be, you know, uh, going too far down the road of talking about when practice is going to resume. Um, but, but it shows you how, how much the system, because colleges have put so much into the idea of the athletic department having to be self-sustaining, that they've budgeted everything for you know all the the uh, the money they get from football and basketball in order to pay for everything else, and and the schools are relying upon that too. So when 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 you talk about cutting sports, one thing that happens when you cut sports is a lot of these sports are actually the, the athletes are paying their own way or most mm -hmm. of their own way. Mm -hmm. So the schools getting scholarship dollars from and tuition dollars essentially from the athletic department, and they budget based on that too. So it's not like they can just cut sports and all of a sudden they don't have these these athletes that are paying their own way. That would be a, a big hit for the university's bottom line too. So there are a lot of moving parts to this thing, um, you know. That and and I find it distasteful when the coaches are and administrators are talking about the cost of, like they gave a, an extra year of eligibility to the spring sports and they're talking about the cost of that. And you're like, are you guys like listening to yourselves? <laughs> like the cost of that is minuscule compared to what you're paying each other. Yeah. Like, are, do you guys realize how much money you're paying yourselves? And then you're worried about a few scholarships? Like, come on, you know. It's, so why it's, are coaches so tone deaf? I don't know. I think, I, I don't know. That's a good question. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's, yeah. See, some, I mean, I, Coach K, are, I, yeah, I heard Coach K give an interview. I forget where it was. I mean, he took a, a million times better tone than Gundy. But it just seems like every time these coaches, and we can name a million of them right now, have a chance to chime in about these subjects, like, 90% of the time, it's foot-in-the-mouth situation. It can be. Um, and it's okay for all of us to talk about, okay, when we start up again, when can we start and what does it look like? As long as, like, it's almost difficult for me to talk about how difficult it was for, you know, for us to lose the NCAA tournament and all that stuff when, you know, medical professionals are putting their lives on the line every day. Yeah. Yeah. But but when we get past when we get past sort of the proper perspective and we're talking about, OK, you know, now that we have said what the right perspective is, when can we start and under what conditions? Um, and, and there are there are economic impacts of this that are going to be painful. And there, a lot of people are getting hurt here. Um, so so the revenue that comes in for football and basketball is impactful and it is meaningful and it is important. Uh, but you know, when you start talking about, well, we got to get the play boy, we got to get the football players back out there. 
um, it, it does sound at times a little tone deaf, but we can talk about it as long as it's emphasized the right way. The first thing we have to do is get our campuses open again. Mm-hmm. And when we feel like it's okay for students to come back on campus, then we can, you know, athletes are, are part of that equation. And then we can talk. You still can have football, even, even if campuses haven't opened yet, as long as the players and the staff are going to be safe. Mm-hmm. We can't have a hundred percent safety on it, but, but I don't, I don't agree with those that say we're, we're going to probably have to wait until we have a vaccine. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have to listen to our, our, our government and our medical professionals as to in fashioning what the right thing is. And I think it's Dr. Fauci that said, you know, we're not going to determine the timeline the virus is. Mm-hmm. So as soon as the, the timeline is right, then we can start putting the wheels in motion and, and we can certainly plan for it. We, gotta, we can put the wheels in motion for, for starting up again. Have you heard anything about college basketball, how this might affect the college? Obviously, that's a little bit further down the road for next season, I mean. you know, Yeah, I, I, I've heard different things, but none of it concrete. It's mm-hmm. been mostly speculative. And one thing that I do think that, that the NCAA can and should do, and I think, I think overall the NCAA has done a pretty good job with this, but one thing that I think needs to happen is, is the NCAA has got to say, all contact rules with your own team, do whatever you want. Like if you want to have Zoom practices and workouts, do it. If you want to have, um, you know, if you want to have uh, uh, Zoom team meetings, do it. Like there needs to be more contact between the team personnel and the players than than less. And putting any sort of limitation, especially when we can't police it. Like what are we going to do? Have forensic experts go over Zoom logs now? Um, like. Let, let them let them do it like the, the the mental and physical well-being of, of the players is the most important thing right now and so i think having more contact with their coaching staffs is better than than less and so i would err on the side of allowing allowing more uh and they should allow the players to 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 accept um any kind of of whether it's third party um uh benefits to make sure that they, they have enough food, shelter, and and uh, medical coverage. I don't care who play who pays for a player's medical coverage. I want them covered. And so if if a booster pays for it, fine. Um, this is an unprecedented situation, so it it, it may require unprecedented uh, permissiveness on the part of the NCAA. So, in your opinion, do we have college basketball next year? I believe we will. Yes. And I believe we'll be back to uh, a a much more normal feeling um, uh, life sooner rather than later. I don't know what the timeline is, whether it's going to be June or what, but but I think you know we're we're in a we're in a situation we've never been in before uh, with with sort of the quarantine and social distancing. But everybody i have have talked to and dealt with has taken this seriously and has i think acted very responsibly um so that that's heartening and then it's been great to see how how people have reached out to one another and and have uh, been so supportive of one another uh whether it's been financially or otherwise but but the emotional support i think we're all providing to one another has been really really heartening too so i think we'll get to the other side of this i'm really confident of that but it, we're not going to snap our fingers and do it. Um, it's going to be phased in, and we're going to have to be patient in that regard. And uh, but but I think listening to to the professionals and help, having them help us through it is going to be the most important. Before we get you out of here, we're obviously all under quarantine. 
What's the best Jeezy song for quarantine? Uh, my Hood, I think, is uh, is my favorite for that. <laughs> for just being around the crib? Just being, being around the crib. And Jay, That's you have good... two signed Jeezy pictures. Yeah. What's the story behind the two of them? Anything special um, or did he just send them to you? Did you get them personally signed? How did, how did you get those two? He sent one of them and the other one I, uh, I bought at an auction. Uh, to, to be supportive. Um, but yeah, like, so this whole thing started, I can't remember what year, maybe 2010. And, uh, and so it's been a fun thing for me tweet every day and I, I'm a big music fan. So I, I don't just listen to hip hop. I like when I was in high school back in the late, late seventies, early eighties, uh, my teammates, my high school teammates and I got hooked on the sugar Hill game. And so we, we knew every word to rapper's delight. We used to sing it when we'd work out and stuff. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and so we, we, we sort of became fans of the genre that way. And, but it's not the only thing I listen to and Jeezy's not the only thing I listen to, but, um, but it's been fun. I got, I've got a chance to meet him several times. And there's been times when he's called and said, Hey, I put an album out. Would you like to drop it and all that? So that's been kind of, kind of cool. Uh, so I've, I've always said that's the, the picture I think is behind me. You see it right there. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Uh, so it's sort of, uh, sort of been a part of, been a part of my background for my ESPN studio here. On your bookshelf, that was ranked number seven on our bookshelf rankings, which you took a little bit, you took a little umbrage to. You wanted to be higher ranked than number seven. That's number one. There's nobody, <laughs> nobody that can match that. Come on, man. Can we talk about Woj having a fake bookshelf? Yeah, he's got a vir uh, virtual bookshelf. That's great. That, I he, mean, that's what, yeah. That's what, I we mean, should have disqualified him. We should have <laughs> disqualified him. He said it works yeah. for space and you get to customize it, but it's not the same as the physical thing that you have, which, and again, you have the intricacies of yours is very unique. And the, again, Woj called out your Bill Raftery nameplate. You have the Wilson basketball that your wife painted. You have the Caddyshack sign and you have the Jeezy sign picture. So yours is very unique. And if I think if we re-ranked them, I may put you a little bit lower. Well, Woj, like I guarantee you this, that if Woj didn't have the virtual one and you got to see what was actually behind him, he's probably in something equivalent to the Batcave where he's got these super, you know, <laughs> these superhero cost, costume uh, where he jumps in it and goes out and does this Woj bomb reporting because the dude is a machine. Uh, so so he's probably shielding us from how cool it is. He's, he's dumbing it down. So, so it's not like the, the coolest thing you've ever seen. But like mine, my wife painted... Uh, the Wilson thing. It's a basketball. And she figured if I was going to be quarantined up in this studio, I should have some company. And then the Raffery nameplate came from his office in uh, at Seton Hall. Oh, wow. um, uh, somebody gave it to me that they were cleaning stuff out uh, at the Meadowlands and found it and knew that Raff and I were good friends. So I was doing a game up there. And they said, hey, would you like this? We're just going to kind of toss it out. And I said, would I like it? So it's been on my desk actually for about nine or ten years now and i just put it i put it in my my sort of my home setup uh in the last six months that's amazing one one real quick one before we get out of here did tom brady check in with dickie v before he went to tampa you know dickie v runs tampa down there he probably did uh you never know he does run tampa dick dick's the best i do have a tom brady story if you want to hear this one <laughs> yeah, of Fire course away. we do yeah of course we want to hear a tom brady story okay so brady's brady's good friends with a good friend of mine and so that this this mutual friend of ours invited invited us to play golf at this this club down in South Carolina. So we all go to play down there. And uh, at the end of this three four day golf trip we took, we're all, everybody's leaving, and Tom Brady and his dad 
who's also named Tom, and Tom Sr. may be the nicest person I've ever met. They asked me, hey, uh, uh, we need a hotel in Charlotte where I live because um, we're flying out tomorrow morning. So can you recommend a hotel? And I told them, well, you know, actually my family's out of town and we're, we're, we bought a new house. We're moving in the next three, four days. So there's a bunch of stuff in boxes. But if you want to stay with me, I'll drive you to the airport tomorrow morning. They're like, oh, we don't want to put you out. And I said, all right, well, then that's fine. And, uh, but if you want to stay, it's available. So this buddy of ours said, idiots, stay with him. It's, it's no problem. <laughs> so they stayed with me. And so I put Tom Sr. in my daughter's room, who was like 12 at the time. My son's like 10. And, uh, and so I, I was going to put, you know, Junior, the, the MVP, in our guest room. And, uh, and he walks into the guest room and says, no, 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 this, I'm not going to mess this up. This is too nice. Uh, I'll just sleep in your son's room. I go, my son's got like two twin beds. And this is, I go, we're tearing this place down in two days anyway. Like the whole thing's going to be torn down. We're leaving. And he said, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not. And I said, all right, well, I'm not going to talk you out. If you want to sleep in a twin bed, go ahead. <laughs> so the next, uh, next morning he get he gets up his dad, we leave. And it turns out he made, you know, Brady makes his bed, uh, well-raised, um, <laughs> driving to the airport. He leaves, uh, he and his dad are gone. So I talked to my wife uh, just after that and said, uh, you're not going to believe this, but uh, Tom Brady and his dad stayed in our house uh, last night. And, uh, and you know, uh, the MVP stayed in, in Anthony's bed, slept in Anthony's bed. And, you know, so the kids are all disappointed they missed it. Yeah. Probably a week later, I come home from work and my son's sitting watching television and he's watching the Brady Bunch, and which was on Nickelodeon back then. So it was a big, big hit when I was a kid. And so he, I walked, walked past him, and I said, "How you doing, boy?" And he says, uh, "He says everything works out for the Brady Bunch." I'm like what? And he says, "He says Joe Namath. Uh, he says Bobby lies about knowing Joe Namath, and Joe Namath comes to his house. He goes, Marshall lies about knowing Davy Jones, and Davy Jones takes her to the prom." He goes, Tom Brady slept in my bed and nobody believes me. And so he's, he's laughing about that. And I called my buddy and told him the story and said, we laughed about it. We're both Brady Bunch age kids. And probably a week later, uh, a box shows up for my son. It's a, it's a New England Patriots helmet. And it says to Anthony, you have the best bed in Charlotte, Tom Brady 12. Wow. My Good buddy job, had Tom. told, had told Tom about the story. And he sends the kid a helmet. And like, if, if you needed to know anything about Brady being a good dude, like that's it. Wow. Like he didn't know, he didn't know me from Adam. We played golf for two days and he wouldn't, wouldn't know me if he, if he ran into me on the street. And my, my buddy tells him that story and he has a helmet sent to my 10 year old kid. I mean, coolest thing you've ever seen. Good job, that, that is amazing. Shout out that, Honestly, that's great to hear. I can't believe you slept in your son's bed. That's amazing. Jay, <laughs> that's funny. Jay uh, we appreciate you so much for joining us. A true legend in the game. Uh, real quick, who are the Cavs drafting? I'm, I'm from Cleveland. You got to you gotta give me that. Who are the Cavs drafting? Well, it depends where they draft. Wiseman. They'll take Wiseman. Mm, Dang, okay. okay. And know. it won't matter because they're going to be awful anyway. I don't, know. <laughs> I don't know if I like that one. Okay. Damn. I, I, I want I want Toppin. They I should want. take a Duke guy. They'd be better off. Yeah. Well, they we tried that once. Jay, he requested a trade, okay? He got we you a championship. <laughs> he got <laughs> you a championship. He got us a championship, and but the then shot. he blew everything up, okay? And so, the shot. The, the, got, yeah, got you a championship, the only one you've ever had. But, yeah. yeah. Hate I, him for leaving. 
Yeah, I, I'm very appreciative of it. So, Jay, thank you so much for joining us. Great being with you guys. Thanks, Jay. Appreciate it. Zion, don't listen to any of their shit. I oh, no, we're going to give it I to him every single time. Yeah, every that's single still time. coming no matter what. <laughs> Be good, guys. Thank you. Thank Thanks, you, Jay. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Huge shout out to Jay Billis, ESPN legend, Duke legend, for joining us, uh, talking some college hoops, March Madness stuff, NBA draft stuff. Uh, I'm going to disregard what he said to Zion, that we're going to stop giving him shit for being a Duke fan. That will never happen. Never. Zion. Yeah, we'll always give you shit for being a Duke fan. That's never changing. But, uh, you know, Show I love... a little passion, pal. Yeah, I love Jay talking to us that was one of my favorite interviews so far yeah he's always he's always been a fan of complex sports shout out to him um and yeah the gem of the tom brady story to end it all um so was good. unexpected but that's a phenomenal little little tale he told right there right obviously it is uh our man alejandro our producer has some trivia for us before we get out of here so let's do some trivia is that, this is duke related trivia so there's no better reason, body this there's no reason that zion shouldn't win for the first time during zion this. better body i won this on trivia. i won on couch classics i had that's a different show different, different show, show. Pal. Still, but shout out to couch classics thursdays every thurs- yeah every thursday night watch couch classics on 7 p.m eastern 4 p.m pacific yes so let's get some trivia going all right guys question number one for trivia who threw the inbounds pass to Christian Leitner in the East Regional Finals in ni- of 1992 to win the game? Wait, wait, wait. We can't, we can't say, like, I don't want to give the answer. I know answer. the answer. Yeah, I, I know, know the answer. answer. I know the answer. Uh, but I don't want to give it to you guys. So how do we answer this? You uh, say no, it first. I, you say it first, problem? Mr. Dookie. It's Grant Hill. It's Grant Hill. Yes, Everybody knows that's knows Grant that. Hill. That's Ooh, easy. Right. You've seen that highlight nine million right. times. Yeah, yeah, that's like the most played college basketball highlight ever. Come on, yeah. Alejandro. All right, cool. All right, question number two. Name the players associated with these retired numbers for Duke basketball. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> All right. Number 31, number 32, number 33, and number 35. 31. 32 and 33 should be pretty obvious. 32 is Leitner, right? Yeah. 33 is Hill. Yep. Yes. 31... 31's uh y'all y'all not gonna get it. 35, y'all definitely not get it. So if you if you if you get it, you're cheating. Isn't 35 Marvin Bagley? Did he wear nope. that at Duke? <laughs> Duke ain't retired Marvin Bagley's jersey. <laughs> nah, but Bagley asked for his number, asked for this guy. Uh, is 31 Bobby Hurley? Nope. No, nah, he was 11, make, right? Make your guess, Adam. I don't I don't know uh, 31 and 35. Uh, I got the other two right. Let that be known. Is 31 Trajan Lagden? Wrong. Uh, 31 is Shane Batty. 35 is Danny Ferry. 
Oh, all right. Shane 31 Bannier. I should have got. Yeah. 31. Yeah, Bannier, 31 I should have got. Gettable, yeah. Ferry, Shane wasn't I, that, wasn't yeah. that far back. Yeah, all right. All right, third and final question. Who led UConn in scoring oh. in the 1999 NCAA championship oh. against Duke? In the game? Yeah, oh. and UConn's first championship in that massive upset where they were nine-point dogs. I wait Ray, Ray Allen. I don't yeah. fucking know. No, Ray Allen was years uh, before that, pal. Uh, Rip Hamilton. Rip Hamilton. Oh, Rip. Yep. Okay. Rip. Rip. Yep. UConn uh, legend. All right. Good thing we didn't do those with Billis. He would have got those in his sleep. Rip Hamilton, number thirty-two jersey. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to Rip Hamilton. Uh, well, boys, another show in the books from quarantine. Uh, I might be a hurricane in New York going on right now. I'm not sure. Uh. I'm enjoying all of our time with you guys. And I guess until next time, anything else you want to add, Adam, before we get out of here? That was a very sweet outro you just gave us right there. Watch yeah, Couch I miss Classics you guys. on Thursday, 7 p.m. Watch Couch, Couch Classics. Classics on Thursday. Next week, we have a very special NFL guest to go along with the NFL draft. I kind of want to tease it. Uh, for the podcast, just, not Couch Classics. For the podcast, we have a very special guest. Uh, well, we can just, just we can we can allude to just, it's a, it's a major NFL say, insider. I'm just gonna say one word and let the people know. Assault. Assault. Next week, you can't let that go, Jesus. Assault. We'll see you next week, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, special thanks to our producer Alejandro De Jesus, our associate producer and sound engineer Jasmine Plata, production manager. Chancel Correa, talent booker Shanice Kelman, director of talent relations Kristen Price, Harrell, manager of operations in LA, our man Josh Dodd, senior director of operations Jen Stewart. Very special shout out to my man Donnie Kwok for running the whole damn thing around here. We'll see you next time.